This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Hosts of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. It's not like it was back in the 70s and 80s where a teacher could come in with their skill set and just go into a classroom and go, you got to have a foundational level understanding of the tech that's involved in everything they do. If a teacher or an administrator or district office, clerical staff, paras, whoever you are, you have to have a, there needs to be a foundational level. So some onboard training that comes into play um, and consistent training moving forward. We can put a lot of incredible devices and tools out there, but if they don't know how to use it, there's no reason to put it out there because then we're going to spend more time doing support and figuring out is this user error uh, is training needed, or we could be proactive and give them the information ahead of time and then provide the support as they're moving forward so they're using those tools effectively with their kids. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Stimuletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, Hey, welcome back to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, and thanks so much for listening, and and I encourage you to share the show with your friends, family, and colleagues, you know. Uh, Today, I'm talking with school system tech directors and the North Georgia RESA tech director, Alan Gayton. We're all talking about why they chose tech, working in schools, cybersecurity, and a little bit about AI. So, Let's first get some names to go with voices. So we're going to start at the end of the table, and we're going to start with Chris. So if I could get you all to say your name and say hi. Hi, I'm Chris from Cherokee County. Hi, my name is Shannon Carroll, Cherokee County. Hello, Bobby Blount, Cherokee County. That's John Call, Gilmer County. I'm Kyle with Whitfield County. Tim Shaver, Whitfield County. Alan from North Georgia. Joey from Pinkins County. Patrick Shea from Pickens County Schools. Awesome. And I'm Steve, back with you again. So this is cool. So we're going to have this conversation. They, they, you know, just, they don't know what I'm going to ask them. So this is cool. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Well, one of the things that I think is neat is that I got an audience. I got a, a, not just an, I got an audience. I got a group of participants that all do something with tech. And so, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, all right? Now, I was born in the 60s, but I grew up watching reruns of Lost in Space and the only Star Trek that ever existed, that ever exists, the original Star Trek, Spurt. You know, we got Kirk, Spock, and uh, Scotty and Bones and all of them. The others are just, you know, figments of your imagination. But the, uh, <laughs> I grew up on all that stuff. I grew up on James Bond, Sean Connery, and Roger Moore. Forget the other guys, man. And, the, uh, and then there's all kinds of other cool stuff like Star Wars and the Space Shuttle and the Apollo program, something called Space 1999, which that's an interesting reference. I read a fun book called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all the books that go with it. And I carry my towel and I have my, you know, uh, my, my favorite references considering this world of AI, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But think Marvin, man. And, you know, there, I had LPs and 8-tracks and cassettes and the Walkman, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. And this is the type of stuff that got me interested in technology. So what I'm going to ask you guys is, you know, my interest started in tech way back then. How about you? What took you down the path to tech? What, what is it that made you say, ah, this is the direction I got to go? Who wants to go? My name is Patrick, and I'm from Pickens County, and I started off as a classroom teacher many years ago, um, and uh, I was a special ed teacher, and as technology was being introduced into the classrooms, um, not from where I came from, but as I was experiencing it as a teacher, I needed to, <laughs> to uh, realize I needed to focus some of my attention on helping uh, other teachers and students embrace this 
change that was coming. Very cool. Who else? All right, I'll go ahead and jump in. This is Shannon. Uh, so I also started off as a classroom teacher, uh, and then we had an incredible county in Cherokee County called Teach 21 um, that we as teachers were able to come up with um, basically goals that we wanted to do. And for the first time, we're able to request some uh, different tools that we had in the classroom, like we had the Promethean panel in elementary schools. I got a 32-count uh, laptop cart. And what I was able to do in the classroom to get the kids engaged and um, I saw a different level of excitement with the kids when they were coming in, really piqued my curiosity, then went into curriculum, brought a lot of technology with that too, worked with Bobby a lot looking at technology, and then um, had the opportunity to move over to technology itself, and I feel like I'm living the dream. Very cool. Awesome. So this is Bobby, and um, Steve, much like you, I was a child of the 60s, and I grew up with all of those great things. I like the original Star Trek, but I also like the spinoffs. Those are <laughs> wonderful. Sorry. I'm also a Doom fan, so science fiction and geekism is part of my uh, nice. who I am. So um, um, I always say the geek shall inherit the earth. Excellent. Right? <laughs> and so um, you know, my foray into K-12 technology especially started um, you know, right after college. I knew I wanted to... Um, work with technology in K-12 and find ways to introduce students to technology. And I worked for a company that gave that opportunity through supporting multiple school districts, setting up new computer labs back in the early days when IBM iClass was the popular thing that many people went to. And Apple um, systems were um, gaining popularity in classrooms. And um, I worked for 10 years in the private sector doing nothing but installing computer labs in Metro Atlanta school districts and then part of the Southeast. And then I had this wonderful opportunity uh, given to me in Cherokee County to um, come along and help um, my predecessor uh, bring her vision to life. And um, we had a new superintendent at the time who um, said how much, and we gave him a price, and he fell out of the chair. But then he got back in that chair and gave us the money. Nice. So we were able to start building a foundation of training teachers and buying equipment and um, kind of getting to where we are today. So it's been a great journey, and having that impact on kids has been very fulfilling and really wonderful. Very cool. All right, anybody else before we move on? Yeah, so I was, uh, this is John, 1981-1982. I was 12 years old, convinced my parents to buy Commodore 64, and uh, excellent. started teaching myself to write computer code. And I love science, but then I also love problem-solving, and that really took me the direction of going uh, I was, uh, used to be a full-time computer programmer in the private industry, and that's how I got started. It's just with a, a manual and a, and a TV and a Commodore 64 box with the old 1541 floppy disk drive. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> nice stuff, right? Anybody else before we move on? Come on. Um, this is Tim, Whitfield County. Um, so I was born in the 80s, um, but started getting into technology um, from a guy at church, actually. He, uh, he did computer work and gave me a box of parts um, when I was 11, and I built my first computer. Nice. I haven't stopped ever since. Very cool. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. This is Alan. Um, I'm kind of like John. I, I got started with the Commodore 64, but my I, I had a love for sci-fi, and that kind of drew me towards technology. And, you know, there were the Ataris, and I like playing the games and things like that. But I had an issue where... Um, I started off left-handed, but at that point in time, a lot of parents were switching their kids to right-handed, and I was one of those kids, and so I couldn't write very well, and I discovered that a computer enabled me to write without having the impediment of trying to do it mechanically, and so that gravitated me much more towards using uh, the computer as I hit um, late middle school, uh, high school, and I just never looked back. Nice. Very cool. Last chance. This is Kyle. Um, <clears throat> I was a, a 90s kid, so I was born a little bit later than everyone else. But I think one of the things about being a 90s kid is you were born into a world where you're completely surrounded by technology, whether it be computers or video games. Uh, just from my earliest memories, that's all I knew. And, of course, my dad working on computers, he kind of, that, you know, as a kid I saw that, and I was just like, I want to do that too. So um, from a very early age I knew Whatever I do with my life, it has to be an in information technology. And here I am today. Awesome. Awesome. By the way, you guys are killing me. 
90s and 80s. Born. All right. Now, that D. <laughs> All is good. I mean, I talk about not being, you know, the technology. I mean, today, my phone hooked up to some nice speakers. I can make more sound than the big giant speakers we had in my window. <laughs> it, anyway, yeah. Ooh, good stuff. Last call. My name's Joey. Uh, I was born in 80. So sci-fi kind of pulled me into it, just seeing what the future potential could be. And that got me interested in seeing all the growth of the computers and things that the potential was there and spurred my interest in a young age, and I kind of stuck with it. Took stuff apart, got in trouble. <laughs> got to work, go back together and work most of the time. So, you know. Nice, nice. I, I like that whole concept of take stuff apart. Maybe it went back together again, right? Yeah. <laughs> Leave some parts out, put something else together. Nice, yeah. cool stuff. Well, cool. And it, uh, last thoughts before I move on. Well, I won't be the only one left out. So I'll, this is Chris from Cherokee, and, and uh, growing up, so kid born in the 70s, late 70s, so, um, and just always uh, kind of like the gadgets in general. You were mentioning the Walkman. I still remember that uh, from, from those days. And um, then really got into K-12 technology. I like to joke and say I tripped and fell into it because it wasn't an intention, but it just became a something I started doing as a parapro. Uh, a friend of mine that uh, Bobby here had actually hired uh, before we had a lot of tech support in schools. Uh, when I would need help in the classroom, I would call my friend say, hey, how do we do this? And so I realized that, you know, I'd grown up with this uh, enjoyment of gadgets and things like that. Now I could tie that into my work. And uh, after two years of being a parapro at one of our schools, I moved into technology. And, and as they say, the rest is history. Very cool. Awesome stuff. I mean, this is, this is cool because we've got all different decades covered here, too, which is, which is neat. And i gotta, I got to tell you, since you brought up the Walkman, i gotta, I got to mention this. What was really cool was... I first had a friend who had a Walkman, and the initial Walkman had a battery pack that attached to the Walkman, and you put two D-sized batteries inside that, and you had to have that in order to make it work. And then eventually they made the, the battery compartment different. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how things change. But, uh, you know, they're coming back. I mean, you can buy some of that cassettes at Target now, man. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we're not sponsored by Target nor Sony. So, <laughs> anyone want to? I'd be happy to. You know, it's, uh, it's, so let's talk about some other things. I mean, what keeps you interested in what you do? I mean, what what inspires you? I mean, what do you like best about what you do? Talk, talk a little bit about what inspires you to keep doing. I think the potential. Um, I love innovation. I love looking for. This is Bobby again from Cherokee. Um, I like looking for new technologies that make the students want to be invested in their learning, not just engaged, but um, really, really, you know, immersed in what they're, what they're learning. Um, I love the idea of virtual reality. Uh, I love the idea of game-based learning. All of those things really kind of um, change the dynamics in the classroom. One of the things that I see on the back end is how excited our teachers get when they start learning, when you empower the teachers to learn those resources as well. They, um, they get excited and re reinvigorated on um, how they can deliver instruction in the classroom. So that, that keeps me going. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Patrick. <clears throat> the, uh, the innovations that we see um, out in the world trying to get the understanding of where these teachers need to look to help their students really uh, keeps me motivated keeps me moving in the right direction. But what brings me joy and motivates me is when instead of it being a county-driven, top-down thing, the teacher comes and says, this is what I want to do. And, and they, we covered it in professional development. We covered it in all this. But now that they have a need or a desire to learn how to do it, that hook and, you know, that those people just take off so much quicker when they finally realize that they can rely on the technology instead of getting, you know, let's pull out those same dittos that we used, you know, the mimeograph machine where we all smelled the paper. You know, these teachers, some of these teachers, when I started in technology even teaching years ago, they had their, their folders for their months, and those never changed year after year after year. And now those teachers, um, those that are still around, uh, <laughs> um, are going out and finding new things realize that the, the internet is just this 
sometimes too much, but they can find anything that they want, and they've got to keep up with the students and they realize and those that realize that and try not try to hold their not hold their students back to keep up with them that allow their students to to really explore. I mean that just that's just so invigorating for me. Cool, awesome. I'll say how it. Uh, you know, we've seen how technology can enhance routine things in our life. When you go back, you know, as we were growing up, you had the radio in your car, and now you've got things like CarPlay or Android Auto, Spotify, all of this in your daily life. But even though we're not the ones to implement things, sometimes it, you know, it's our friends in special ed, but the stories that inspire me are ones where it changes somebody's life, where they say, technology, this, this child wouldn't have done this without that. And so whether it's them reaching a goal or if it's an assistive technology device that, you know, we weren't the one to necessarily train the student, that was a teacher to do it, but we helped support it. And when you hear stories of parents saying, I heard my kid speak for the first time as a seven-year-old, but they did it through an iPad. You know, those are the things, you don't hear those stories very often, but those are the ones that I think uh, uh, lift me up the most. Nice. For me, it's all about the impact in the classroom. This is Shannon. Um, I think Patrick, when he, he mentioned the students, you know, the students work with technology, it's natural to them. You go out to a restaurant, you're seeing one-year-olds and two-year-olds with an iPad out there, and they're just flipping away and, and doing all these incredible things. I want to make sure that the teachers have the skill sets that they need to integrate that technology in the classroom to make it engaging. Um, and to get the buy-in from the kids as well. You know, the kids that we have in uh, kindergarten right now, the world that's going to be available to them when they graduate is going to be unlike anything we can even comprehend, especially with the AI component that's going to come in. So technology needs to be a component that's integrated into the classroom, not just into the lessons, but the skill sets. Uh, it'll help the teachers become more efficient. Um, it would take some of the mundane tasks that they have to do and do it for them so they can spend more time with the kids. Um, it's pretty exciting to see what's going to happen in the future. Very cool. One more. Um, in my field, I'm specifically in cybersecurity, so I think you could argue that it's going to see the most changes. And I should, you know, with the rise of like AI and quantum computers in the future, I should probably be more worried than I am. But I think I'm mostly just excited to see what these new technologies are going to do to information technology and cybersecurity in the future. Excellent. I love that. You know, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about cybersecurity in a minute. And, uh, yeah, who knows where that world's going. So uh, good stuff. I mean, I, I love what you guys are talking about. All right. Now, you know, I, I love a lot of different types of uh, uh, media that has to do with technology, too. And I don't know if you ever watched the IT crowd from early 2000s, um, the British one, not the one where they tried to do it again in the U.S. Um, and one of the things they used to ask people is the first thing they do when they call on the tech people, they'd say, yeah, try unplugging it and plugging it back in and they call me back, you know, that type of thing. You know, it's, and it, it's funny because sometimes that actually really seems to work. Um, if nothing else, gives you a chance to, to kind of <laughs> see if they call you back or not. Uh, but the, the, the thing that makes me bring this up is in your work world, is there something that is a common problem that you have to address that kind of keeps you busy. <laughs> Password resets. Password resets. Can we just say end users? <laughs> end users, yeah, you can say that. You can say, I like it. <laughs> Dealing with spam being forwarded to me to deal with. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I mean, I think of a lot of the issues. Teachers have 25, 28 kids in their room, and it's not like coming out of private sector, you didn't have to supervise all the children and try to solve your own tech issue at the same time and everything else. And so a lot of times, uh, I think you just see some, you know, frustration on their end because they, they can't do it all. And so sometimes problems that might be easier to solve if you didn't have all the other things going on in your presence and taking up your time. And so I think we do end up at times solving simpler problems that you may not have to otherwise, but it's just because of the nature of what we do. Very cool. It's, it's, it's funny what you guys make me think of because there's all kinds of, uh, you know, it's uh, when I was a teacher um, and then a, an administrator, my wife worked in the corporate world, and um, she'd have to go in on the weekends to do some things that she wanted to do um, 
because of the uses of the, the computer and stuff like this, so she could have time just doing it. And uh, we go in there, and there were these cool signs that were posted everywhere that said, do not move the computer. Do not move the printer. Do not move the chair. Do not move anything. If you need this, call this number. And I went back to, you know, the funny thing is, is that uh, my experience as a principal has been something similar. You can never find equipment because, oh, we moved all that down into the, that room. Three doors. What? What? Anyway, ever run into something like that? Oh, this is Patrick. Um, God forbid a teacher should leave. Um, short notice, their rooms get raided, and all the <laughs> yeah. older equipment get put in that. Mm -hmm. So asset uh, realignment is, uh, is a constant problem. Um, so, yes. And teachers are hoarders. <laughs> and uh, being a former, you know, being a teacher, I, I do know that. So when we go and try to do our assets and trying to find them, we oftentimes have to open closets, desk drawers, because teachers, again, the hoarders, don't want to give up older technology. They might get a new printer, but just in case that printer doesn't work, i got to keep this old one that did, I was limping along. and No one's going to know about it. So um, those kind of frustrations. And, and then when those teachers leave, um, we find things that have been lost for years. Or uh, another teacher will take it and put it in their closet. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that's a, it, that's a, that's a, it's always been an issue, right? I was a hoarder. I was a teacher, all right? Matter of fact, I, one of the things I did was I did your book, right? And we're always looking for filing cabinets. And I had my eye on this filing cabinet that was sitting with a hand truck next to it, it right next to it in the teacher's workroom for weeks, a couple months. I went, oh, it's a couple months. That thing's not moved yet. It's mine. And I went and took it. Two days after I took it, there's an announcement. Anyone who saw the... Uh, the file cabinet that was in the teacher's mailroom, uh, please return it to the mailroom at this time. It was empty. It sat there for months until I took it, yeah. <laughs> and I did the first um, laptop of modern laptop rollout here. I didn't expect that I would need a, an annual dongle budget to replace <laughs> those dongles that seem never to come back. And I love that. You know, it's like, oh, we can, we can figure that out. We have a dongle for it, yes. <laughs> Anything else? We have, a, um, in this day and age now, we, we're at the point where we have to make sure we protect, um, you know, personal information, especially of our kids. You know, we have a system where we manage, you know, and have access to all of these social security numbers. That's coveted information. So we have put measures in place to make sure we protect um, that data. And one of the things that's common that happens regularly is we have teachers or administrators who want new software. And we have a process now where that software has to be vetted. You have to look at and actually read the terms of service to make sure that the, um, the company that you're buying it from um, have measures in place to make sure that they protect the data. Teachers don't always understand that. Administrators don't always understand that. District leaders don't always understand that. And so you're in a constant battle to help them understand the importance of protecting that data, especially when you're the IT department and you own a lot of that data. You want to make sure that the breach is not going to be caused by you. So you have to centralize your rostering. You have to make sure that you understand who has access to that, to that data, how long they're going to keep it, um, who they're going to share it with, you know, um, are they going to use it to market to kids. So, you know, that has been a constant challenge for a lot of districts. And um, we're now at the point, I know in the state of Georgia, where that's come to, the, come to light more and more and more districts are putting uh, processes in place to make sure that they are asking our uh, software manufacturers and um, getting legal involved to make sure that um, we protect that, that data as well. So um, recurring ha happens regularly, weekly, monthly, all the time. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting thing because it's, yeah. it's not just moving furniture. No, right. And it's... It has a lot to do with uh, um, all that uh, security stuff. That's good stuff right there. Last chance, one more. By the way, while, we're, while they're thinking about that, I do want to make sure that I say this, that you know, when I became an administrator, it was just as bad as when I was a teacher. So, you know, you know someone, uh, and actually when I left one school to go be a principal at another school, I was an assistant principal. The assistant principal, two days before I left, was in there and he's measuring my desk. I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> it was gone before the end of my last day. It drug over into his office. 
Nice. So it doesn't go away no matter what level they're at. <laughs> and everybody else has to deal with it. What they, what they do with that stuff? All right. Good stuff. Uh, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, you know, what makes it easier to solve tech challenges that the staff experience? I mean, what would assist you in your role? What's, what's something, if you had a chance to say, here's my, my wish list, and I would really like this because it would help me help the teachers, help the administrators. This is what I want. What's that thing? People. Aha. Uh-huh. Nice. More staff. So like your own team. Yeah. I mean, we're serving 23 schools, and I think last I checked, we've got about 20,000 devices on the network any given point, and I've got 10 techs and four district personnel that handle anything from, you know, workflows for our help desk ticketing system, cyber, network admin, and identity automation, you know, single sign-on setups. Love that. People. Nice. What else? Yeah, I, I mean, think- I'll, I'll agree with him. I think it's, you know, we're, we're always balancing that fine line to where you – we try to put a lot of emphasis on customer service, but at the same time, they still have a lot of stuff to do. And the more people you could have out there interacting and just sharing little bits of information, you know, my folks are not the trainers, but they get a lot of how-to question, just a quick conversation, but they stay so busy trying to stay. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Focused on tasks and staying caught up on things that, you know, some of the information sharing is lacking because... Uh, we all, I think we would agree that you know, a lot of emails go unread when you're trying to share it. They don't pay attention to the banner on the help desk you know, when something's down. Um, so being able to have that more one-on-one interaction with people, uh, I think, would improve our service overall. Nice. I think to add on to what Chris was saying also is uh, communication and good strategic planning. Um, if I can plan and build... Um, for the future, you know, um, that would be great. Getting other divisions um, that you work with to give you their roadmap of their three- to five-year plan so that nothing's, not many things are a surprise to you. Um, you know, when things happen at the last minute and you realize you don't have the people that you need, you don't have the funding that you need and no one's communicated with, kind of leaves you in a quandary and you're like, okay, how do I make this happen for you and meet your level of expectation? It's impossible. So I think strategic planning at the core and regular communications and um, roadmaps really, really can um, alleviate a lot of the stress that um, tech directors and staff go through. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. That's a. And I would jump in and say, I'm sorry. I would jump in and say training. Um, it's not like it was back in the 70s and 80s where a teacher could come in with their skill set and just go into a classroom and go. You got to have a foundational level understanding of the tech that's involved in everything they do. If it's a teacher or an administrator or district office, clerical staff, paras, whoever you are, you have to have a, there needs to be a foundational level. So some onboard training that comes into play um, and consistent training moving forward. We can put a lot of incredible devices and tools out there, but if they don't know how to use it, um, there's no reason to put it out there because then we're going to spend more time doing support and figuring out is this user error uh, is training needed, or we could be proactive and give them the information ahead of time and then provide the support as they're moving forward so they're using those tools effectively with their kids gotcha. or in their everyday uh, skills or products they're working on during during their workday. Very cool. Nice. There's a, there's a lot of cyber training that Tim and I have talked about. You know, it's crucial that we get this training out to uh, staff, but without getting into too much detail there's um some obstacles in our way that you know have basically stopped us dead in its tracks and it's you know a battle we're always going to be fighting but you know this training is is very important 
Nice. This is awesome conversation here. We got uh, last shot here before we, we move on to a different topic. I think what Bobby was saying, so this is my 24th year being tech director in Gilmer County. And when I started, they didn't even have networks. So the first thing I did, we put in networks. And so but you couldn't even assume the network was always going to be working because it was really just me. Now all that's taken for granted. All the basic things we do are taken for granted and it's the strategic side people we're, we're very large organizations so we have over 500 employees and we have about 4200 students you have almost 5,000 people using your network every day and then all the strategic decisions being made to try to move forward even as small as we are you know our left hand and our right hand don't know what they're doing sometimes and I can only imagine the challenges in Cherokee County of They've got a lot more hands than we have. And I do think that that can be a struggle because it's no longer about the technology. The technology is taken for granted. It's working. We, it's, it has to be up all the time. They assume it's going to be up. It's now about how we're using it and why. And there's a lot of people that want to make those decisions sometimes unilaterally. They're not really sharing that. And so uh, the worst thing that can happen for us is to get a big surprise you know, that, hey, we need X working in two weeks and we forgot to tell you and you don't even know if you have the expertise to make it happen. And, and to jump on what John's saying, uh, that that those items that are taken for granted, just like electricity and water, mm-hmm. you know, they want to implement this new project and they buy this equipment. When it doesn't work, they immediately blame technology chances are it could just be that they've overloaded electrical circuits and they didn't take that into account. Yep. But now it becomes an emergency because not everybody was brought to the table right. with those, those conversations. Right. And, but we, speaking from technology, normally get the black eye for anything that doesn't work if it's plugged into a wall, regardless of if it's on our <laughs> network or not. Right. And to further support John's point, whether you're serving 4,200, we have 42,000. Um, the expectations are the same. He's got to provide cybersecurity. He's got to provide infrastructure. He's got to provide um, identity management. He's got to do the same things that we have to do. So the scale may be different, but the requirements and the expectations are all the same. You know. And I'm not as smart as I used to be. <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> what a cool thing, because you, you think about something that was said earlier. It, you know, you think about, uh, yeah, I, I grew <laughs> I graduated high school in 81, all right? So you're 12, I'm, <laughs> that's when I'm graduating high school. Nice, right, right. Nice, got an 82 there, all right. Okay. That was one year old. One year old, thank you very much. Speak up, Sonny, I can't hear you. You know, the, uh, you know what, what's wild is that you think about something that was said before where you could walk into a classroom, turn on the overhead projector, pull down the screen, and away you go. Or, you know, one thing that uh, many of my teachers in those days had no uh, real talent with was taking the big film projector, and they'd always attach the film the wrong way, so it's spooling on the floor. And then, you know, that's how you got in good graces with the teacher, because I'll help you with that. <laughs> AV club, man. Anyway, but the... I thought AV club was just to get you out of class. <laughs> well, that too, because then you got to go down to the... <laughs> got to go down to the media center. And, anyway, um, but, you know... That something you said, it's not just as easy today to just do that. I mean, just like some of these smart boards and these interactive screens and stuff like that, you know, if they're just using them like an overhead projector from 1971, oh, they're missing out, man. Because you could, one of my favorite things is when a teacher takes notes, they put notes up on it and they, they do a screen grab and then they throw it over to their website. And it's like, oh, yeah, 81, that one happening. No. <laughs> But talk about the talent and the need to, to understand what they can do um, and what's at their fingertips. Oh, my gosh. And then the demand to, to keep that going. So I don't, I don't, Patrick, Ian, I don't think that uh, some districts, I'll speak for my own, are to the point where they will bring technology in as a resource to help solve problems on the front end. Um, Sometimes these, these things are, they're, they're trying to solve a problem, but they don't really know what problem they're trying to solve. And they're, they're heading down a wrong path, and they buy this software, they, they try to implement this, and that's, but they already had the tools. Mm-hmm. And if they had brought technology and people to the table beforehand, that 
they wouldn't have had to go out and purchase something else. Um, so knowing that and utilizing the tools that we've already purchased for, you know, our districts, there's always another teacher out there looking for the app that does the exact same thing the four others do. So, so, you know, let's use what we have, understand what they're trying to solve, and go from there. Um, so. I, love, I love that, by the way. That is that is the thing. It's like, uh, you know, there, there is an app for that. It just It's like every app designer out there is creating something new. And so then if you have, like, 15 teachers come up with the, the same thing. But that's not the... Problem. My all-time favorite one is what you were talking about before. Is when um, suddenly you have all this stuff that nobody asked for. This is not what we were looking for, all right? But we'll make use of it. <laughs> I suppose that's been one of my frustrations as I've been in technology longer and longer. Is kind of what you're talking about is um, that I remember we would get something. It was going to be the solution and we got it all implemented and then something new shiny came along and well we're just going to put that in the closet and get the next thing out and and i'm like but this would work this is this was doing and we were just getting it to the point where people were really using it now we've gone and thrown it all in a um washing machine again and 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 trying to and, and it's and as time has gone on I have to be careful not to get jaded towards the new when it can be a solution because I've seen so often where we've wasted money on the new when we already had a solution that would work. So that balance of being accepting of things that are good to come in and still utilizing what we already have if it will answer the solution and not paying for something new. Is that a K-12 issue because we change curriculums every three to five years? We're just used to that turnover when it comes to applications? You know, it's kind of, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, I just had a conversation not too long ago where there was a great piece of technology that we've used for years, and all of a sudden, they stopped using it. And I asked someone, you know, at the district level, I said, was it because the kids were tired of it, or was it because the teacher? And they said, well, the teacher was tired of it. And I said, I didn't buy that for the teacher, that was for the kids. And you have a new generation of kids that come through every year. So now the kids coming in now will never see that piece of technology and it's exciting. It's what's current, it's what they use, you know? And so I think we miss an opportunity there. It's very similar to what happens with um, like a um, classic rock band that's been on tour forever. And they're so tired of doing the same songs over and over right. again. They want to do something new, but their fans want to hear the classics. They want to hear the old. They want to hear the old. Yeah. I think we have a hard time measuring return on investment too, though. I mean, if you have a company, you're you're just how am I making a profit? And if I have the tools and they're making me a good profit, I don't need to buy a new tool. But in education, it's really hard to know if your tools are making you profit you need and people are always grasping maybe this is the thing that will get my kids that are on the bubble over the line and making a three and not a two on the grade test right and so if we had a better way to measure return on investment sometimes and it's so subjective because is it the tool or is it that teacher is really amazing or you got a new principal this year that inspired everybody to do better or the the curriculum changed or the state testing mandates changed you've got all those variables that you have to measure in there to determine what is your return on investment in a k-12 learning environment so you know how do you measure that how do you every year you have different students and the variables that come with that absolutely socioeconomic um, impact you know um, all sorts of variables play a role in that and whose bubble are we chasing right yeah exactly which department's bubble yes so just three years ago i'm not going to name the teacher but one of our best teachers on the end of, on the end of grade test, the best results we got, they mostly just used worksheets in their classroom. They didn't use a lot of technology, but they kids loved this teacher and they connected with the kids and the kids performed. So why would we force that teacher to do something if they're getting the results? But there, at times, you see that happening, and so it's an interesting question. That it is, and that, that we could spend a little bit of time on that, that right there, but unfortunately we're going to move on. <laughs> but uh, I do have to, I have to say that uh, that is one right there, that uh, all the stuff you're talking about, that, that was a good conversation, man. Um, let's, let's, let's switch over and let's start talking about cybersecurity for a minute. I mean, this is a word that all had to do with sci-fi a long, not, not so very long ago, 
right? I mean, it, you know, cybersecurity, I mean, th those were the red shirts on uh, Star Trek who, you know, they didn't come back from the planet. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and that type of thing. And those you don't know, you need to watch, right? So we'll understand. But, the, um, you know, now this is a whole, not only is it a world, it's a thing. And you got all these hackers out there who school systems are targets for them. I mean, it's like, Oh, of all the things to be targets, but that, that's they're they're targeting school systems. So let's let's look at this for a minute. When you hear the words cybersecurity, what does that make you think of? Immediately, have we done all our patches? That's just something I wake up and <laughs> cybersecurity. Have, are we patched up? Phishing. Phishing. Yep, that's the biggest problem. It's making sure people understand that most of the emails come in are not really what they seem to be. Or that link's not really truly what it's linking to. And getting people to understand not everything is we're being hacked. Like, there are different variables within that system. But, yeah. That's nice. where the training comes in. And, and until we get that training, he's just going to be getting 15 emails a day from people. Hey, can you look at this? Is this phishing? Is this legit? Oh, I love that. I mean, I... I'd drive Alan nuts because I'm walking over there going, I need you to look at something. Should I push that blue button or not? <laughs> no. Awareness is a big part of it. You know, with October being Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we've made efforts in Cherokee to, um, um, in our newsletter that comes out of our division, to make sure that we focus the entire edition for um, October on cybersecurity, giving them, our, uh, our stakeholders, our, you know, uh, teachers, administrators, all sorts of ideas on how to be aware, how to protect yourselves. Um, our cybersecurity um, um, supervisor, um, he has uh, produced three newsletters separate from our district newsletter, and I've been sending out every Friday in October. They've, we, I've distributed those out to our schools as well, just to make to keep it on the forefront for this month. Um, you know, later on in the spring, we'll probably do another little little thing. We want to make sure that our new teachers coming in. Um, are up to speed and aware that we take it seriously. And, um, you know, we have rules about sharing passwords and um, we'll lock your account down if we find out you've shared your password, you know, and uh, make sure your supervisor knows. So it's something we can't play with because um, I think it's the one thing that keeps everybody at, around this table, um, um, you know, up at night, you know, worrying about what when, when's the next opportunity for a breach going to happen. So um, it's um, something that's real and that we um, take it very seriously. How do you keep your end users brought into it there? That's the, that's the biggest struggle to me. Yeah, well, you know, I kind of almost, I'm not going to say saturate them, but, you know, whenever we have, whenever I see a pattern of phishing going on, uh, I have permission from the superintendent to send an, an email to all users and say, hey, this is what we're seeing. You may get this. Do not click on this. This is what it looks like. So I think pervasive education and reminding them and taking that time to say, here's another one, okay? And, you know, I'll do that maybe, I'll send maybe about 10 a year out. And so what I've learned from that is that um, our employees actually respond. Every time I do it, I get like a billion emails back. And that's the downfall. So if you are the ones who get your cybersecurity guy to do it instead of you doing it yourself, right? But you get a billion, hey, is this one, is this one? And, you know, just like Steve, you were saying, you know, you go to Alan and you ask him, hey, should I click on this? I don't mind, we, we all take the time to answer those and say, this is legit, this is not. And so um, you just have to continually um, educate them, and they will get it. I use a lot of humor. I send out a Wednesday email that's always funny, and yeah. now ChatGPT writes it for me. That is awesome. But for years I have sent out, and it's like look forward to it. If I miss a Wednesday, I get feedback, and we have like yearly cybersecurity haiku contest. Mm -hmm. I mean, all kinds of stuff just to keep it in people's minds. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it's that's the only way I can figure out because it's boring. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to think about it. Teachers are really much more concerned about their kids than cybersecurity. So that's the way. And I try to, you know, humor works for me in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just try to use it to daily life. And I was like, hey, we're going to use humor to make cybersecurity stay in the forefront. That's, that's powerful. All of what you guys are talking about is just so powerful because it's, it's so important now with the, you know, just the world that's just blasting us left and right. And at the same time, though, it's the way we communicate, too. And so I was joking about the blue button, whatever color it might be. 
there are companies that use the blue button. I mean, it's, you know, please click on the blue button to go to the form, complete the form. And it's like, is this real? Because then there's a hacker going, please click on the blue button. You know. And that's one of the issues here at Risa that I deal with is that, you know, so many of the things now can be made to look exactly like the legitimate thing. And I'm kind of a jack of all trades here. So cybersecurity is one of the many hats. I don't always feel like I'm, it's kind of like Patrick was saying, have I done all the patches? Do I have my firewall set up right? Maybe I don't. Maybe And, and there's always that little nugget of fear. And so the only solution I've found is make sure I have plenty of backups. Because <laughs> nice, nice. you know, I never know what's going to happen. Very nice. I, you know, it's, it, it's just such an interesting world because we're, you know, it's being able to spot what's possible, what's the problem, what could be problematic, I guess is my point. You know, one of the things that happened just as I was starting here and continues to happen from time to time is I have to explain to my team that I do not send emails where I say things like, I don't have time to tell you this. It's all kinds of secrets, so just don't tell anybody. But I really need you to send me $150 or something like this um, by credit card. You know, just to, you know, I don't do that. All right, I, and, and I don't send you a little email that uh, you know says that has all these things spelled wrong because hey, I was brought up the right way. I came through as an as an assistant principal where the English department graded every assistant principal's letters and put them on the department. So I worry about the things that I say. So because of that. I'm not going to send you misspelled things like that. Uh, the grammar, on the other hand, <laughs> good stuff. This is a good conversation. We got to, you know, when we when we look at some of the stuff that's going on in this world, um, one of the cool things that you can't escape right now is the talk around AI. All right, to the point that it's probably driving you a little nuts. All right, at least it is me, because especially because one of the things I'm a little worried about is that. All right. I think it was 84, there's a little thing called Skynet, created Terminators, right? And now we're in like Terminator chapter 207 or something like that. I don't know. You know, good old Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's just, uh, they keep putting him back out there. But the, the, the thing is, though, is that, uh, you know, and it, I don't know if you guys know this reference or not, but in the 60s, there was a movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey. And there's this, this little, the best part of the movie. Matter of fact, if you stay awake for nothing else, you need to see Hal and Dave. All right, because Hal is the is the little bit of technology that decides that Dave doesn't need to exist any longer, and uh, you know, and, and there's some interesting things now with the auto, with these cars that are autonomous, and they're having fun with the um, places like Phoenix and uh, I believe Nevada, you know, Las Vegas and Nevada, are, um, and other cities are having these little cars running around that you could have a driverless, or you could choose to drive it depending on what you rent. Um, so there's Interesting things happening. They just gave a voice the other day to a, a robot dog that was taking people on a tour of some facility. Um, and, you know, it's, the funny thing is they gave it a voice like Jeeves or something like this, you know, <laughs> come this way. Anyway, but the, no, it should be walk this way. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but the, <laughs> the point is, is that AI is all around us. So some people are excited and some people are afraid. How about you? What do you think? I'd say it's, you know, fair to be afraid of it, um, but I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. But, you know, I mean, you need to be worried about the implications of how this could be used um, for sure because, I mean, it, it is going to change cybersecurity. That's going to happen. Oh, if I'm one of the – it's cool but not cool things it, is that uh, they now can create your voice mm -hmm. in – Seconds in a, in, in a cheap manner, mm -hmm. which means that uh, now suddenly you're talking, and uh, recently there was an actor who had to go out and tell everybody, that's not me, that's not me, that is not me, uh, advertising, of all things, a dental clinic, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But it won't be AI, just like any kind of technology. It's usually not a single piece of technology that's the problem. It's how they get married together. Uh -huh. and so it's AI married with video, married with audio, whatever, and plus trying to game the system. People are always trying to game the system to win. That's what hackers are doing. And so I think from my point of view, we develop, as a culture, we develop technology and don't ask any questions about it, good or bad, until it's fully developed and being abused. And then we're like, oh, I wonder if that was a good idea. I mean, social media is a prime example. And uh, I teach some college classes on the side, and I, one of the assignments is to watch a video on brain hacking 
how most social media companies, really all of them, have psychologists hired who know how the brain works, and they teach programmers how to write code that will hack people's brains to make them want to come back like they're gambling addicts to their app. And so we are constantly being conditioned by the very tools that we freely download onto our own devices. And I think things like AI coupled with those ideas are going to fundamentally change our culture in ways that we're not even thinking about and are not going to like very much. Great point. Great point. You know, it, um, when ChatGPT was being shared with everybody, there were a whole bunch of uh, people in our world who were going, well, we won't need English teachers anymore. Who They'll just be able to write the essay. Of course, now one of the things that they're sharing with people is that, you know, it is doing something called scraping, which is pulling from all over the place. And when it doesn't find it, it makes it up. Some of them call it hallucinating, <laughs> stuff like that. So you better read what it writes for you. Um, so there are some interesting things, but I, I've interviewed some people. I've talked with some people who are saying it's, it's getting smarter. Now, something that's interfering with it right now is... Um, lawsuits about, well, you can't use my stuff. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting to see where it goes. But you're, you're right, you just kind of throw it out there. But one of the cool things, if you saw the movie Maverick, we're not sponsored by it, but it had Val Kilmer in it. Going back to the Tom Cruise you know, Top Gun movie from the 80s, mm-hmm. and they brought him back, and he's, he's got a problem. Um, he can't speak. And so they put together what he did speak from all, I mean, they have so many samples of his voice, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, you know, we can go to that type of technology to the fact that my phone, it's, it's really scary because it follows me, obviously, and it'll tell me sometime in the middle of the day, if you head it home now, it'll take you about three and a half hours. If you wait until five, <laughs> hey, traffic's clear. You know, something like, it says weird things like that, and you're like, dude, stop. <laughs> you're freaking me out. <laughs> Pick up milk on your way in. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, if you have a smart refrigerator. Yeah, it tells you you can't do it. Right? You can't see that already. Right. Wow. I, think, I think AI is something that we've been looking forward to, um, you know, as, as technologists, as science people. Um, and it's here. And, John, you're exactly right. You know, we, I look forward to the good. And initially, I don't think about the bad. But you're right. Um, everything can be exploited for the dark side by the malicious actors that are playing in this, in this and all the spaces there as well. Um, in our district, we have an attitude of uh, let's try to embrace it because it's not going to go away tomorrow or anything. So let's figure out, and I think K-12 as a whole is um, trying to figure out how do we leverage this new resource so that we don't have to eliminate English teachers or anything like that. You know, um, um, you know how can we redefine how teaching and learning is done using this resource when the Internet first came? It was a lot of fear, you know. We had to have people sign off to say, I, I will allow my child to, to use the Internet in the classroom. If, nice. you, if you remember that, you try to take Internet. If it's down for five minutes for any reason, people will go crazy. So, um, you know, this is one of those new things that we just got to figure out as a society, as a whole, um, how we're going ma- to manage it. And then you still have to vet the data no matter what, you know. So when you create something, chat, GPT, like you said, you're going to scrape it, you're going to hallucinate it, you're going to do whatever. But, you know, you still have to figure out, is that a valid source? You know, is the information that you've curated and procured and stolen from other people, is it, you know, is it real? So, and then what's the legal implications of that going long term? So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting journey for all of us to figure it out. So. So much so, so much so. All right, so we're, we're finishing up here. I got one last thing as we, as, as we close up. And what I'd like you to just think about is, you know, in, where, we're, where we are now, I mean, where would you like this to go? I mean, what's the thing about technology in your, in your world that, um, that, I mean, you're, you're excited about? That's just that thing that uh, you, you hope it keeps going. I mean, whether it's uh, um, the, the you know, there's just something that you like about the fact that they can, you know, take people who died about 20 years ago and suddenly they're in a movie, you know, or, or you know, what, what is it? Do you, is there something that just really has you excited that you, you want more of? I mean, honestly, that alone, I've seen some crazy things like uh, in Star Wars, like Grand Moff Tarkin coming back from the dead just to, you know, for that, that cameo right there. But um, honestly, there's a lot of things with technology that, I don't know if it's me being short-sighted, but there's ways that technology can be used in the future that I'm not even seeing now, that I'm not even thinking of now. 
And in 10, 20 years, when it happens, it's going to blow my mind. I'm, I'm looking forward to new ways that technology can be used, new technologies that I can't even fathom right now. That's cool. Anybody else? I'm thinking telepresence. Um, what is the, is that the, the term they're using now where, you know, I can participate here physically or I can participate here virtually where you see me and I see the environment and everything there. Um, imagine the travel time that it'll save, you know. So um, I know there have been forays into getting into that world from uh, Microsoft's perspective and others, um, just that virtual presence of, of, you know, being in a space and sitting at a table, but you're not really there. You know, physically, I think that would be a really cool thing. When you think about distance learning applications that that could have, you know, um, um, medical, um, um, you know, um, visits, you know, a virtual doctor visit where the doctor is actually, you know, a silhouette of the doctor is there and able to take your vitals using some great technology, you know, that would be really cool stuff. Yeah. Nice. Holodeck is coming. Holodeck, yeah. there you go. Bring, <laughs> bring on the holodeck. And, uh, and another Star Trek with the... Voyager, I think it was, with the doctor. That's a 3D hologram, yeah, whatever. 3D, right. That's yeah. a smart yeah. aleck, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think healthcare on the flip side is solving health issues mm -hmm. to me is, I know that's not the educational side, but AI mm -hmm. especially being applied to healthcare. Mm -hmm. uh, so a few years ago, my wife had uh, an aggressive type of breast cancer that 10 years before that, the outcomes weren't very good, and now the outcomes are just as good as anyone else's because the drugs that they had developed are so targeted and AI being able to apply and look at large data sets and see patterns we can't see. I think those for the future are really interesting. And then from a, just a fun point of view, I think I like physics, uh, really being able to understand certain aspects of the universe better, also being able to see more deeply into these large data sets is very interesting. Nice. So. Well, I kind I of think, view, oh, go ahead. I think for me, uh, quantum networking, that kind of stuff. Uh, just, I know it's really early in its, in its you know, lifespan, but um, just the concept of, of how it works and the amount of data that we're going to be able to actually move from point A to point B, um, it's just astonishing. But also looking at the negatives of AI and, and how what that's going to do to cybersecurity and and, and AI's capability of processing those big data sets. Um, you know, we're looking at now of how much more AI can do now with what we have, but when we are using quantum, I mean, astronomical. Yeah. I feel like we've kind of gone full circle. We went from talking about Star Trek and all the, the shows that we grew up watching. We left out the Jetsons on that one that had some technology <laughs> components to it as well. But I think with AI and technology, what we're going to see in the future, or at least I hope I'm around to see in the future, is a lot of that technology that we grew up on that intrigued us and brought us in is the stuff that we're going to see starting to come out, and we're just on the cusp of it. So there's a lot of exciting things coming. Um, but at the same time, we need to be aware of all those shortfalls, too, so it doesn't take over, like some of the Terminator stuff that's out there as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, can look, we can look back over the last five years and see what uh, COVID and the pandemic did to education. Um, you know, we were putting out technology in the classroom for years and you know, getting teachers to bring home their laptops or utilize the equipment that we had. Um, a lot of us just ran into walls you know, that some of these veteran teachers mm -hmm. didn't want to necessarily make that change. And then when COVID hit, uh, and we sent everybody home, they realized that, you know, we weren't just putting out toys. You know, these were supposed to be used for educational reasons. And now, uh, you know, we've, we went so far that way. And some of these teachers, uh, you know, we have to remind them to get back to, you know, put the electronics aside. Not everything's drill and practice. But um, I think it's going to take... Uh, a situation like that to really embrace what AI can do for education, just like what technology physically could have been doing for education for the last 10 to 15 years. That with the progress that teachers have made since COVID, that's where I've seen the biggest jump of mm -hmm. the embracing of technology and wanting to see what else can be done with it. So. You hit the nail on the head when you say the embracing of technology because it takes a good teacher first 
and technology there. And I think during COVID, we floundered a little bit because we had never been through that before. And, you know, everybody's panacea was, well, let's make sure they have laptops. Let's just start giving out laptops. And we made the assumption that they would get effective teaching and effective distance and remote learning and effective support to our students. And in many cases, that just did not happen. If it did, we would not have those terms called learning loss that we're all still recovering from. Um, so um, it was a stressful time. Everybody was afraid. And our kids, we were concerned about them. So we didn't want to overburden them with too much screen time because that became a problem as well. So I think we have a long way to go um, in our practices of remote and distance learning and adapting to not being in a school environment. You know, when you think of what's happening in the Middle East, you know, with those families being upended, you know, by war and in Ukraine and things like that, what kind of learning is happening for those kids? Probably very, very little. You know, they're in survival mode, and that's kind of where everybody was with COVID. So we still have a long way to go and a lot of practice to do to get ourselves um, ready for um, or, or adequately prepared for any kind of remote distance learning that's going to be a system of fidelity for our kids going forward. So. But did you see a, an increase in that buy-in after after COVID? There was an increase in buy-in, and, you know, everyone went out and became one-to-one. -one <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but we now know the it work really has effective. to begin right. now because now we're really turning up the volume on the conversation of true integration you know, and what that looks like and, you know, uh, social-emotional uh, learning and making sure that we're connected with the kids because you realize they need, they get more out of school than just lessons. They get a social connection. They get a sense of belonging. They get a sense of community, you know, instead of working in isolation. So um, all of those things have to be talked about and experienced and explored. You so, kind of hit on my, yeah. my forward yeah. wish and everything with, with total integration is that, and Dr. Maletto and I've had this conversation recently, how, you know, there was a point in time where you kind of hit a stagnation where technology had kind of reached a certain level of development and it was just being refined. And then we, we've since that point hit all of these new technologies such as cloud and, and whatever, and they're not reaching a refinement point yet. There's frustrations with using, whether you're Google or Microsoft or whatever, um, linking this app with this app and, and all of those things. It's like, I'm so looking forward to a day when it all works together well again. Very cool. This has been an incredible conversation. You know, I appreciate you guys talking with me about all kinds of stuff. You know, when I think about this, this world uh, that we're in, uh, there's, there's, there's one it's too bad the author's not uh, didn't make it to this point with artificial intelligence. His name is Douglas Ad Adams, and he wrote the Attractive Guide to Galaxy. And on there, he had the he had the everything about technology talked with you and and told you to have a nice day and thanks and have a nice day. And and their ship the shipboard computer was named Eddie. And it's, hi guys, today we're going to you know. And I when I see stuff that that's in our life, I start wondering where where it's going to because you hear about in retail where they're pulling this stuff together and, and they have these different stores that, uh, you know, you just show your credit card, you have to have your phone aligned with it and you walk in and it recognizes you. And then anything you walk out with, it charges to that credit card. Um, I'm a, I'm a Atlanta Braves fan. And uh, one of the things they had in the, the stadium this year that was brand new was, a, was a, a, a stand that had people instructing you that when you went to the gate, they told you how to, pair your credit card with your phone, and then you walked in. And they said, if anybody else walks in with you now, if they walk out, they're going to charge your card for whatever they got. But uh, I wonder at some point if artificial intelligence will be paired with that, and what will happen is, hey, Steve, glad you're back. Man, last time you were here, you know that you bought, uh, wow, that's a lot of stuff you bought last time. Maybe we should. <laughs> anyway, uh, on that thought, I can't thank you enough for participating. Thanks so much for being here today. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you'll share this with your friends, your family, everybody that you know. Um, today we've been talking with the tech directors um, from our area and uh, greatly appreciate their comments and thoughts. And they gave you some stuff for you to think about as well. And uh, um, by the way, what do you think AI is going? And are you practicing good cybersecurity. Food for thought, man. Have an awesome day. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams.
Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.